Hello and welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and to eradicate racism and create a world where racial equity is the norm. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. I want to start the show this morning by reading to you one of the meditations from my book on dismantling racism healing separation from the inside out. And I'm choosing to read the meditation that's associated with speaking truth to power. I start each chapter of my book with a meditation and I start each episode with a meditation to ground us and to center us. But in the book, I make it very, very personal for the reader to really think about the ways in which they engage in this work and centering them. And today's meditation is really thinking about those who came before us. So if you would, I invite you to close your eyes, ground yourself and find your breath, connecting with your sacred intelligence, that part of you that manifests your greatness while simultaneously helping others to manifest their greatness. Breathe in and out and hear these words. Faithful one, thank you for those who have helped to pave the way for me. For those who valiantly fought for the civil rights of others enduring violence, I am grateful. They demonstrated what it meant to protest peacefully consistently fight for justice, and be committed to honoring their calling. Thank you for the ways I benefit from their actions, for those who have fought and continue to fight with fervor for the rights of women, the LGBTQIA community, the disabled, the immigrant, the homeless, the impoverished, and more. I am grateful they have withstood the pain and degradation that comes with such advocacy and shown me what it means to have something worth fighting for. Thank you for the ways I benefit from their courage and resolve. For those who fight fires on my behalf, literally and metaphorically, risking their very lives to save another. I am grateful for their selflessness dedication and care for even the stranger. All these people and so many more respond to your calling that might have begun as a gentle nudge, but ended in a push toward their purpose. They chose and are choosing not to turn around, but to walk toward purpose and power. May they be examples to me when I feel tired, overwhelmed, or dejected, even when the little things don't go as planned. May they be models of ways to slay the dragons in my life, to speak truth to power, and to run the race with great dignity. May I never give up on that which you call me to do, great or small. And may I always bask in the knowledge and joy that I am sustained by you. For all of it, I say thank you. And so it is. Ashe and Amen. I just want you to take another deep breath in and feel into this work of 
social justice, dismantling racism, racial equity. I often get uh, asked the question, how do I overcome the fear of engaging in this work? How do I keep moving forward? And I know that oftentimes people are really afraid of the consequences of doing this work. And that's why today we're going to continue a conversation that I started several weeks ago with my guest today, but it was around taking responsibility of white male fragility. But before I get into the conversation with my guest today, I want to highlight two people who decided that they would take a stand. You've heard me highlight people on here before, like Fannie Lou Hamer, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass even. But today I want to highlight two white individuals. And I highlight them because whenever I'm teaching my classes on dismantling racism, I often talk to the participants about thinking about who their ancestors were or who were the white people who decided that they were going to use their privilege in order to dismantle racism. So one of the people I want to highlight is Clifford Doerr, D-U-R-R. Clifford Doerr was an Alabama lawyer and he played a very important role in defending activists of the civil rights movement. One of the things I want you to think about, we know about Rosa Parks, we know about Dr. King, we know about the Montgomery Improvement Association and their connection with the Montgomery bus boycott. That was a planned movement and it took everybody getting involved. How do you think Rosa Parks got out of jail? Clifford Doerr was the attorney, the white attorney who defended her case. Do you think that there would have been the same outcome had it been a black attorney? Maybe it would have, but the fact that it was a white man who decided to stand up in 1955, let's be clear about the time in the South and what was taking place. There was a white man who decided, I want to use my privilege in order to advance the civil rights movement, in order to fight for social justice. Again, the outcome may have been the same. I don't know but it took someone standing up saying, I want to be a part of the movement. And that's what I want to encourage each of you to do. We all have to make sacrifices. And I'm sure that his life was not easy as a result of that. Can you imagine being in the segregated South as a white person defending black people? Do you think that life would have been easy for you? Just as it's not easy for us today, if we decide that we are going to stand up and say no more and speak truth to power, that's what he was doing. He was speaking truth to power. 
The second person I want to highlight today is Barbara Henry. Barbara Henry was an educator. She was from New England, in fact, but moved to New Orleans. Barbara Henry was the person who taught Ruby Bridges. And if you don't know who Ruby Bridges was, or is actually, since she's still living, Ruby Bridges was a six-year-old girl who integrated one of the schools in New Orleans. And for an entire year was the only student present in that school because all the white parents decided to take their children out of that school. But Barbara Henry was the lone teacher who decided that she would work with Ruby Bridges. Every day when Ruby Bridges went to school, there were federal marshals that escorted her to school because of the threats. Barbara Henry also received threats and also had to make extreme sacrifices, but she thought that it was worth it. And so what I want to invite you to do is to garner some of the courage and the strength and the commitment of Barbara Henry and Clifford Doerr and say, I'm going to fight for racial equity. I'm going to make the sacrifices. This is why it's important for us to know history. There's a fight now about critical race theory because people really don't understand what it means. But really what we want to do is to go back and to teach history as it was. Because for many people, if they know about Rosa Parks, the story that they know about Rosa Parks is that she was sick and tired of being sick and tired, so to speak, as Fannie Lou Hamer would say, but she was tired and she refused to give up her seat to a white man. What most people think is that she was actually sitting in the front of the bus and she was not. She was sitting in the back of the bus, but I'm not going to do that history lesson with you this morning. Go look it up. Now, I guarantee you though, you will find that there will be some erroneous facts in the recount of our history. Because, as I said, she was sitting in the back of the bus. But go back and look at the history. What a difference it would have made to many of the Black, Brown, White students if they had known that the Civil Rights Movement was a planned movement, that there was a white man involved in the movement. What a difference it would make if folks knew about Ruby, Ruby Bridges and it was taught in school and it was taught that a white woman also was involved in the civil rights movement. What a difference it would make to the ways in which our children show up today. So I want to invite you to do two things, is to think about what you're willing to sacrifice for this movement, and also to think about the ways in which you need to go back and unlearn some of your history and learn the truth of our history in order for it to encourage you to move ahead. I want to invite you, of course, to pick up my latest book, Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out. But also I want you 
to encourage you to take part in my upcoming six-week class that begins on September 14th. You can go to my website, it's sacredintelligence.com, to find out more information about the book and about the classes that I offer. We are going to take a break, and when we return, I am going to continue my conversation with Boysen Hodgson, and we're going to be talking about taking responsibility for white male fragility. We'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics in the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. We are back with the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm so excited to have my guest back on again today, Boysen Hodgson. Boysen is the Communications Director for the Mankind Project, which is a nonprofit organization. And I'm, I'm really grateful for his return to the show. I want to also say that he is the author of the new Macho. So it's not a surprise that he is coming back to continue the conversation that we were having on white male fragility. And we had an interesting conversation after the show ended because I continued to ask him some questions. And I want to pick up on those questions that we had after the show. But before I do that, boys, and I want to welcome you to the show. And I want to see if you had uh, any thoughts or reflections based on the first part of the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back with you. And 
yeah, I was reflecting this morning uh, while out walking the dogs and and speaking with my wife and about, okay, so here we, we did this once, talked about leaning in to white male fragility. What else is there? And uh, we just engaged with the conversation again. And today I'd really like to go into the somatics and the bodily experience that I think white men, I think all of us, I think all of us have a work to do mm. in our bodies, right? Mm. Around this stuff. And I think that, you know, the first question that we're going to ask when we come back about being afraid to offend, I think. Well, it's let real... me ask the question. Yeah, for our go for audience. it. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course. So when, when we got off our last show together, one of the things that boys and you said during the show was being afraid to come on the show. Like you were a little fearful, you know, about coming on. You are not the first white man to say that to me. Even white men who I've tried to get on the show will say to me, uh, well, I'm a little afraid. Mm. And what, and my response to you was that, you know, me, right. We, we, we had a chance to interview before you ever came on the show, get to know each other a little bit. And so, you know, I'm not going to leave you out there just floundering. I will, you know, push a bit. And your response to me, I just want to share what your response was in case you forgot exactly what it was. But your response was, one, I don't want to offend you. Mm -hmm. And two, being afraid of white men. I don't want white men to come after me. Yeah. And I know how that hit me as a person of color, but I'd like you to talk about that a little bit. Say more about what you mean by that. Yeah, that's great. And it very quickly jumps. It, we could keep it in political context. And I don't think that it starts in the political context. Cause I think a lot of us, men in general, white men in particular, uh, we start learning social, emotional learning, right? We start learning from a very young age that this is what it means to be a boy. This is what it means to be a white boy. And a lot of those things mean don't mess with the system. Mm -hmm. Do this, don't do that. Say this, don't say that. And as we engage, as I've grown up and as I engage in these conversations, what I come to recognize is that a lot of the resistance, you know, stay in your lane kind of resistance comes from other white men. Like having conversations with with men uh, who are very used to their way of understanding the world, very used to their way of reinforcing systemic stuff mm. patriarchy racism sexism casual misogyny homophobia all of these things right mm -hmm. if you start to veer out of those lanes then you will very quickly get the feedback from the men around you that nope like no you mm. cannot do that yeah so it's interesting that you say that because, you know, so I shared that with a couple of black women in particular. I know I yeah. shared with them your response. And one of them said, well, huh, 
white men are afraid of white men, white women are afraid of white men, and then black and brown people are taught to be afraid of white men. So just think about the weight of that. Think about how really messed up that is, that we're all tiptoeing around to some extent. For me, it's ourselves. We're tiptoeing around ourselves, right? Exactly. Think about how like that just sounds crazy. I know as a psychologist, I'm not supposed to use that, that, that word, but it just sounds chaotic even to just listen to it. It, it, so I really do talk about being in your body, even now, just the feeling and the energy of that does not feel good in my body Mm. because it feels so weighty Mm. to know that everybody it's already weighty for me as an African-American person, but the weightiness of how our world is so really just um, messed up that that white men are turning in on themselves. That's basically what you're saying. We absolutely do. We absolutely do. And and at at the same time. There's also a, a relaxation and there's an ability to kind of be a little more free when I look and look at that and say, well, it's not that man that I'm afraid of. It's the programming. Mm. It's the systemic stuff. You know, like, what do I want? I don't want to be called out as a traitor to all of the programming that was passed down generation upon generation upon generation into whiteness, right? This fictional thing, right? And the hierarchy and the dominance culture and like for a white cisgendered heterosexual man, like I got the programming that your role on the planet is to be on top. So I have to, you know, here's one of the things that's coming up for me, though, as you're saying this, because your work in the Mankind Project is really about pushing back against the programming. Yes. So healing, the unlearning and the healing. Yeah. I'm curious whether you have the same fear because you're unlearning and changing a system of patriarchy. Mm hmm. Is your fear about changing that system the same thing as it is about changing racial structures? Because I am wondering whether you feel the same fear when you go on a radio show and you talk about, you know, masculinity. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think they're intimately tied together. Mm. Like I think it's so it's an intersectional conversation, right? It's it I can't really decouple those two things because I get the same unconscious programming about race as I've gotten about masculinity in many ways. Right. Mm -hmm. And boy, I've been, I've been called a traitor to man, traitor to manhood, traitor to masculinity Mm. a lot Mm. over the last 20 years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I'm saying these radical ideas like, Hey dude, you it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to bring your full self to a relationship. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel weakness. It's okay to connect deeply with other people. It's okay to show, to take off the mask. Mm. Right? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. everything that I just said translates directly into conversations about race too. Yes. It's okay I for me to, not, to, for me to not know. Mm-hmm. It's okay for me to feel vulnerable. It's mm-hmm. okay for me to feel the sadness and the weight mm-hmm. of the real history as you were talking about in the introduction, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay mm-hmm. to be with those things mm-hmm. because what the culture tells me is no, don't, right? And there's a whole lot of messaging and media and everything out there right now saying, don't look at that. Don't think about that. Don't go for the truth on that. Don't look at the facts on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as a way of resisting the discomfort that's yeah. going to come up. And and quite frankly, it would be just much easier not to look at it, right? But but here's what I do want to make sure that I point out before we have to take another quick break is that if we are going to eradicate these systems, if we are going to unlearn this mm-hmm. programming, we have to move in spite of the fear. And so I want to thank you for coming back a second time, being in that space of discomfort and saying that this is important work that we have to do. So I want to really um, talk when we come back, have this conversation about what it feels like in the body and the work Mm -hmm. that you do around how do you move through that? How do you move through that discomfort and keep speaking truth to power, particularly as it relates to me to, to race and patriarchy, but also teaching about uh, this white male fragility that you're trying to protect on the one hand by mm-hmm. not rocking the boat, yeah. but at the same time saying, wait a minute, got to move past that and change some things to make the world a better place, right? Yes. So I want to talk about that when we come back. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. My guest today is Boyson Hodgson. We'll be right back. Howdy, I'm Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19-related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauber, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. 
You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with the Dismantle Racism show. Before the break, I was talking with my guest, Boysen Hodgson, about white male fragility and this fear of offending white men. And Boysen, you had mentioned about this feeling, you know, being present with the feelings in our bodies around these conversations and around the reprogramming. And I also mentioned to you, just in fact, that there were feelings in my body, even just with this conversation, Mm -hmm. which is why I do a meditation at the beginning of this show to sort of help us stay grounded. So talk to me a little bit about what you mean about being aware of, you know, present with our bodies. Yes. Present with our bodies. Right. So a lot of the reactivity and reactions that we get when we start to have conversations about these really difficult topics like racism, right? The knee jerk reactions are, are often going to be very cognitive, very like, well, it wasn't me. Well, it wasn't, I didn't do that. You know, it's to try and push away because if I don't do that, if I don't as quickly as possible, cognitively push it away, then there are other parts of my brain and my body that are going to get triggered into what's actually happening here, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of white men, a lot of people in general react with fight, flight, freeze to these conversations, right? Fight, fight, flee, freeze, or appease is also Mm -hmm. a really good one, right? When, okay, recognize in my body, what am I experiencing in my body? And this is really the heart of the Mankind Project's work with all of these topics. What am I experiencing in my body? I have tension in my chest. I have butterflies in my belly. My ears are hot. You know, what does that mean? And to be able to start to put language to and understand what's going on in my body so that I can begin to heal it. And I actually did a little acronym thing with heal today so that we can play with it. So when I start first, get honest about what's happening H and then embody it, breathe into that. Where do you feel that in your body? What does it feel like? What does it look like? What is it connected to? Do you remember other times when your body felt like that? Breathe in, really go into it. And then do the work to not try and dominate it. We've been taught as men to dominate our emotional embodied experiences. Mm-hmm. Push it down. Turn it off. Shove it away. Mm-hmm. You know, fight through it. Man up. Accept what you're feeling as real. And learn to self-validate. And learn to build your pain tolerance. Learn to build the tolerance in your own body to the discomfort of your emotions when we are in these difficult conversations. And then learn more, L, right, at the end. Learn more about 
what you can do differently in repatterning your body so that it's like, okay, uh, Reverend Dr. TLC just called me out for saying something awkward. What's my immediate response? Okay. My normal reaction, appease, 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 appease. Mm-hmm. Make nice, make nice, make. Okay. I'll stop that. <sighs> Breathe in deep down into my body. Oh, this is what I'm feeling right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> What's underneath that? Deep caring. Yeah. I care about this conversation. I care about this connection. I care about it. Wow. What can I learn here? Mm. And that's like men are, we are trained out of learning these skills. We don't get social emotional learning for this stuff. And I'm not going to just li- limit this to men either. Cause I see a, lo- a whole lot of young women out in the world and non-binary folks. We're all getting trained out of this stuff. Oh, we're all socialized into a system. Yes. We've all been actually, it's so interesting because uh, I have a colleague who we, we often talk about just as people who identify ourselves as women, that we've all been sold to build goods, yes. you know, like from having to take the last name of the person that we marry, uh, just, this is one thing, right? You know, and so we're all in this vortex, We're all in this system, which is why when people say, well, I'm not racist, you're in a system that perpetuates racism. You're born into it. And some of us are born into a privileged status and others are not. So what do we do with this? I just want to say, I really, really love your acronym for HEAL, you know, honest, embody, accept, and learn. I really like that. But what I wonder as you're talking, because all of this sounds great mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful process, but what do you do to get men to that point where they can say, I'm ready to do this work? That's really great. Um, I think for most men, what gets us there and what got me there was not the conversation about racism. What got me there was personal pain in my life. Mm. Right. Sold a bill of goods, man. You just said it. Mm-hmm. I was told that if I did this and took this step and acted like this and did these things that I was going to get X, Y, Z, that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us end up in our lives. I think women end up in this place. I think the Me Too movement was a supreme example of women ending up in a place like, you told me if I was nice and kind and appeasing and smiled and was that, that this these awful things wouldn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. Well, nope, that didn't work out. So screw it. I'm going to burn it down. Good on you. That We need more of that. Well, we do. And I just want to say something since you since you brought up Me Too movement, and I always think that it's important to um, also offer information as well. So the Me Too movement actually was started by a Black woman, black woman. Ronna yes. Burke, right? Yes. And, and it was started around paying attention to what was happening to Black women as it related to sexual assault. So it wasn't even so much of we've got to play nice, because I want to just tell you from a, a woman perspective, We've also known that we've had to play 
the game. And so it's sad to think that playing nice meant for some women, as we know, when there was this sudden recognition of Me Too movement, that some women did had to really sort of almost sell their souls to not tell when something happened to them, Mm, right? Because they knew they knew absolutely that their voices would not be heard. And so, but I don't want to get off into the Me Too movement because that's a whole conversation in and of itself. Yeah. But what I do want to say is just, you know, what amazes me about this conversation, boys, and about white men being fearful of other white men. And I've seen it over and over in various ways. Like I, I'm always amazed when I do work with white men around the low self-esteem that they have are always feeling like they're not good enough. Mm. And I think that, and, and it's always interesting to me as a black woman, when white men are quote unquote, sort of, you know, at the top. Right. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. always amazes me to see that insecurity in white men, even with having the most privilege in the world. But then what I'm also amazed by is this fragility that we're talking about when it's also white men who try to stomp everybody else and keep everybody else at the bottom. So it's like these two different, you know, uh, these, this, this, this uh, polarization here, even within sure. oneself. And it's insanity. Because again, it's the white men who are doing the most pushing, Mm. I would say. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that? I think we're told that that's what it takes, right? Like in, in order to get to that position, in order to get to the top of the pyramid, we have to dominate everyone else around us, including ourselves, right? And then underneath that, always coexists the human experience of sadness vulnerability not feeling good enough feeling uh fundamentally broken feeling disconnected feeling lonely feeling right but those are also things that we are taught to dominate and so do you believe if you're taught to dominate that if you're taught to dominate all of those feelings that are going on in the inside of you, right. it might be telling you what you're doing is, is evil. You know, when there's oppression happening, you're, you're, you're at, do you, do you feel like as I'm hearing your conversation that there has to be this huge disconnection with humanity there's mm-hmm. a huge disconnection with mm-hmm. yourself. Let's forget about mm-hmm. humanity. There's a disconnection with yourself that you can't even pay attention to in order to dominate. I believe that we, in this culture, in the way that we live, have to are spending most of our energy simply denying what's actually going on. Like the first step, honesty, the first step is we've got to actually recognize what we're creating, recognizing the impacts of our actions, recognizing the impacts of our actions on each other, recognizing on the planet, recognizing for our kids, 
you know, recognize the impacts of those actions. And it takes an enormous amount of energy to try and keep those feelings down. Well, I, I imagine that it does. And, and boys, and what I'm actually sitting here thinking about is how sad is it to be so disconnected with who one is, even even on a spiritual level, because you know right. I think about that. Yes. How sad is that? And as you're talking, I'm just thinking about how great it feels to be a Black woman, hmm. how great it is to live in my Blackness and to know who I am as a spiritual being, as a soul being, as a person, because I don't have to worry about fighting down those fears. I don't have, now, does that mean that I don't have to deal with stuff on the outside? Absolutely, I have to deal with racism. Right. But I know who I am and I can fully embrace who I am, regardless of what the world tells me. And so what I want to say is that in doing this work of dismantling racism and changing uh, even the ways in which men enter into this space, white men in particular, it really takes getting connected with oneself again and yes. feeling good about who you are. Yes. And, because, and mm-hmm. well, and I just going to say, because if white men can't do that, they can't engage in this work. 100%. Mm. Yeah. Like the answer is not feel guilty and ashamed and shitty about yourself all the time, because then you're just going to purpose perpetuate more of the same stuff on yourself and other people. Like the point of healing is to get to the place where I can sit in presence and acceptance to recognize I have trauma and you do too. Mm. So boys, and I have to ask you this, we really actually have to take a break, but I want to know this before the break. Would you say that given the work that you do and even with folks coming after you, would you say you feel a lot better now about who you are as an individual than you did before you decided to take ownership for your own vulnerability and fragility and the mess you were in before doing this work? Um, I feel awake and alive and open-hearted. And that to me is like the definition of sacred. Mm is an embodied experience of openness to reality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, boys and thank you. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! 
On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. are back and boys and before the break we were just talking about this idea of guilt and shame and being present with our bodies and so much more before the break and I was thinking about this word guilt that you use and often when I work with people around uh, white people in particular with just helping them to be more comfortable with having the conversations about race and mm. aging and dismantling racism, guilt mm. comes up mm-hmm. because people tend to think about their ancestry. And even though they know that they perhaps were not the ones to have enslaved people, folks have a history. Some folks have a history of their family. Uh, enslaving people. And so that sometimes is a blocker to them for doing this work. And I often say, but you have the ability to change what happened in your family. You can't change that time period, right. but you can change the system. So talk to me a little bit about maybe what your family history was in enslavement. Do you get the feeling that there's been a conversation about this outside of the show, folks? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I am uh, an ancestry buff. It's something that I started doing some research on around the same time that my grandmother turned 90. Uh, one of the other distant cousins in the family, known as Uncle Hank, um, brought forward a whole bunch of paperwork from the 1860s, 1850s, 1860s. And I started doing ancestry research at that time. And my family, my ancestors have been on this land since the 1640s in Virginia and then spreading out from Virginia to parts of the, of the Midwest and then also going South. And what I've learned is that there is a whole wing of my family on my matrilineal side that there were multiple confederate officers and soldiers in my family and there were multiple farmers farmers on the census data multiple farmers in my family who owned enslaved people and when in these conversations about yeah I didn't do that that's not me. And there is a direct line from me and the privileges that I hold now in the world to the labor of enslaved people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that helped build this country, mm-hmm. that built this country. 
right? Right. And, and so recognizing that I was, I was born in North Carolina. A lot of my, a lot of that whole side of my family was Southern and recognizing all the beauty and love and connection and all of that, all of that stuff. My grandmother was 93 when she died and she was born right after the civil war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Recognizing that, holy shit, I have a direct connection to this that doesn't have to freeze me into a space of guilt and shame that can empower me into a new level of honesty and recognition about the reality of the world that helps continue the work. I have a vested interest in having a society that's more equal and connected. Well, I think that you said something that was really critical. And you said this before when you were talking about your heel Uh, acronym is to be able to acknowledge yeah but we can acknowledge that you benefit from the privileges without saying that you were the one that enslaved people right but in order for us to move forward it takes this acknowledgement so when you first learned that your family had enslaved people what was your thinking if you remember the the thinking so the visceral experience was of course Mm. that was the experience and then just being able to look look at you know my my grandmother's generation my great grandparents generation and to see the line i can see clearly the energetic line from plantation owning farmers in the South to how my grandmother was Mm. Mm -hmm. and how that influenced my mother's behavior Mm -hmm. and how my, how my mother was in the world. Right. And then what I learned from that. And I think that's critical that you were able to just sort of take that and to look back because here's what people have to understand. And it's what you've been saying through the whole show. We pretty much are conditioned to be the way that we are and our behaviors are often unconscious. Yeah. And so we show up in this world based on how our parents raised us, whether we accept or not the way they raised us, they still had an impact on us. And so we show up based on that and they show up based on the history that they had with their parents. And when you think about it, we're what, 159 years out of enslavement. Yeah. That's really not that long. Yep. As a matter of fact, I only learned just this year that everyone wasn't emancipated even after what happened with uh, the enslaved people in Texas. There was it, the, um, Actually, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation did not cover everyone. So take that for a bit of history. The 13th Amendment does not cover everyone. Exactly. Exception clause for felons. Exactly. And so that's why we have to be aware of our history. But, you know, we only have a a little bit of time left. And I wonder, what else would you like to add to the conversation today, whether it's related to, you know, just this legacy trauma or related to white male fragility, what else would you want our audience to know today? So 
just a tiny one more thing on the legacy trauma is that we are not separate. Like you and I are not separate. I am not separate from my ancestors, right? I, I exist in a matrix of genetic history. And the more, the more we learn about genetics and epigenetics, the more we learn that these kinds of traumas and experiences get passed down. Like those traumas didn't end. Right. And to recognize, and I just want to acknowledge Resma Menachem's book, My Grandmother's Hand. So if you haven't read it, go get it. Read uh, much of what I'm been what much of what I'm saying is is direct reflection, right? This this kind of embodied understanding of trauma mm-hmm. in all of us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how we oftentimes we have to get through like being a bunch of traumas bouncing off of each other in the world to have the long, slow conversations we need to have. Mm-hmm. And on white male fragility, the last thing that I would say there is that all we really need to do as men is sit down and get honest enough not to, we don't have to learn to build connection to each other. We don't have to learn to experience this kind of thing. We just have to recognize it. I was in a group on Tuesday night and there was a man sharing a feeling of fundamental brokenness. Those were kind of the words that he used. And I just asked the room, is there any other man in the room who has experienced that feeling of just being broken Mm. and every man's hand in the room went up. Yeah. Yeah. We just have to recognize that we're all walking around with these masks. Mm. And I think in addition to recognizing it, I think also I would add that to know that there's help and there's support, right? So we can have this conversation. Exactly. Exactly. Well, boys, and I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. If you want to know how to get in touch uh, with boys and can you please give them your information really, really quickly. Boysandh.com. Boysandh.com. Get in touch with him. Learn more about the Mankind Project. I want to invite you to please go to my website, sacredintelligence.com, so you can find out more about the work that I offer. Stay tuned now for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. May today, you know, uh, tap into that sacred part of you that will help you to manifest your greatness and the greatness of others. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now.